Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fintech Cafe, and I'm your host, Ambika Sharma. This is episode 48, and the topic is income verification. For this conversation, we're joined by the founder and CEO of Argyle, Shmulik Fishman. This conversation originally took place with a live audience on Clubhouse. So what you're listening to is a recorded session. We cover the founding story of Argyle, use cases around income verification, direct deposit switching, and paycheck linked lending. And overall, we also talk about an opportunity that we have for a meaningful social impact to uplift the unbanked population in the US via this feature of income verification. So let's get started with a round of introductions. My name is Ambika Sharma, and I'm a product manager within the fintech space. And I've had about a decade of experience, and I've worked in the US, Europe, and Latin America. I'll pass the baton next to my co-host for her introduction. Thank you. Thank you, Ambika. Monisha Chakrapani, Ambika's co-host on this show. Um, excited to have Shmila here for our 48th episode. I'm product strategy hat by the day and co-host at this podcast by night. So that's a quick intro for me. Uh, Shmila, with you, shall we jump right in? Um, sure. With an introduction, Argyle provides a single global access point to employment data. From that access point, any business can process verifications, gain real-time transparency into earnings, as well as view and update worker profile details by removing the barriers between the worker, the companies they make money from, and the business they buy services and products from. Argyle has reimagined how employment data can be used. So before we dive into what Argyle does, like it isn't your first startup. You've done a few things along the way. So could you tell us your journey to founding Argyle? Sure. This is my third tech company, second time co-founding, first time CEO. In all the uh, businesses I've worked at since college, I seem to be very interested in networks. I don't think I put it together until recently, but just to give you a quick snapshot, first company that I worked for was a company called DevTV. We uh, put ads on websites. So hundreds of thousands of websites, hundreds of brands. How do you get the right brand on the right website? And what's the pricing around that? So two-sided marketplace. The business I co-founded prior to this was a marketplace for, for fleets. How do you get the right oil in the right car, get the right tires replaced? So again, hundreds of thousands of mechanics, many, many dealerships many, many auto uh, manufacturers, how do you coordinate that all together? And it was actually at uh, the previous company called Stratum where the light bulb moment came off. I'd like to say that I was really prescient and knew exactly what we were getting into when we started RL. That is so not the case. This has turned into a love project that is a complete accident in the best way. At Stratum, one of our largest clients was a, a national auto leaser. And they had to move hundreds of thousands of cars uh, from dealerships to airports, airports to repair shops. And they, to do that, they were hiring, um, again, hundreds of thousands of people a year to move the cars around. Why so many people? Because uh, every quarter they had to turn over their entire workforce. And so what that means is you're spending all this money, by the way, just like McDonald's does, just like Chipotle does, like Target does, any large um, workforce, you have to hire people really quickly. And what you end up creating are these applications where people put in their first name and their last name and their phone number and their home address. Um, and the same thing was going on at Enterprise Rental Car. And the conversion on these apps is under 
And so the idea in my head was how can we make the conversion rate higher on these applications by data from your current employer? And in, in this was Uber, there's a high correlation between Uber drivers and somebody that would be willing to drive for enterprise. We built that service. It so happened that the people that came to us were not job boards or employers, but lenders, people that want to loan small dollar amounts to shift in hourly workers. And so my journey into this is very much one of exploration. A lot of what um, Argyle is today is, is us drinking from a fire hose and understanding how it is that credit is extended globally around the world. That's interesting. So it started off with this particular problem solving, but it sounds like you had to pivot at some point. Um, yeah. Curious about that pivot. Like, when did you realize that you were solving for something that needed sure. more immediate attention? Sure. Uh, so what Argyle has to offer um, is a way to move data between uh, a system that stores income and a business that wants to use it for evaluation purposes. And it's a very generic tool because a car dealership needs income data, a bank needs income data, a lender needs income data, an insurance company needs income data, a real estate agency needs income data. It keeps going from there. A job board needs income data. And we started with that job use case. And it's really, I think, important in the early days of building a company to be open to a lot of signals and also to be open to rejecting a lot of signals. And the, the, the industry that we started with was pre-screening, as it's commonly known, or, or job board, you know, monster.com, people that are processing. And that wasn't the right starting point, uh, but we heard of tons of others. And what, what clients came to us with was a lending problem, and we were open to hearing it. And we were also really lucky that the, data, the underlying data set that uh, we were transporting around the internet was that generic nature data set where it could be used for so many different industries. We just happened to have started with the wrong one. Got it. Thank you. And then moving into the space that you are operating in, the payroll sure. space, it is heavily regulated. It's got a lot of, you know, sort of old dinosaurs, incumbents, and then a lot of fresh energy around it. Sure. Um, how do you feel about, you know, getting into the space with all the different and I wouldn't say barriers, but it's not exactly sure. easy to play in the space. Gosh, I wish there was good regulation in this space. It's unfortunately not the case. Uh, a, a bird's eye view into it is there's actually no federal requirement for any business to provide a pay stub. It doesn't exist. A pay stub is a creation by employers, but there's no mandate around it. And it's the reason why every pay stub looks different. I'm sure if you look through your archives, you'll find that every employee worker has their own pay stub, its own format, has its own details, because there's no regulation around it or no requirements around it. And I think a lot of the, the when people think about compliance or regulation, a lot of that has to do with the underlying use case of how data is used, but not the actual um, data aggregators or data transporters. That, that, unfortunately, there isn't good regulation around, and I wish there was more. Um, a big project of ours actually is to create a set of standards around how income data is stored and transported. And I, I think there's a good, I, I think there's uh, some good starts around that, but we're still very much in the early. In, in terms of the marketplace itself or the other people in it, any huge industry or any huge opportunity has a ton of market participants. So 
I'm glad that there's a bunch of energy in this space. If it was just us, um, it would be a lot harder to iterate. And I think that's true, both a lot of the younger companies that are newcomers into the um, income data space, as well as a huge marketplace of built and scaled businesses. Credit bureaus are an amazing business from a, from a P&L standpoint, morals aside. There's, there's, a, there's a lot that's been built up there that we can. So I, I, I take the competitive landscape as a good thing. That's great to hear. Keeps you on your toes, maybe. Yeah. And uh, that's, yeah, the learning together is kind of interesting too when it's tackling the problems. And yeah. so, and on the problem statement, you know, we do have a bunch of product managers, uh, Shmulek, in the audience, totally. as some of whom we know. Would love to hear your process of discovering that product market fit with a little more detail. I know you mentioned you in terms of understanding that lenders kept coming to you as opposed mm -hmm. to the job boards. Uh, would love to uh, hear more specifically how that came about. So for I'm a I'm a product uh, manager by trade. I, I so happen to be experimenting with being a CEO, but what I know, what I think I know the best is how to build product and product for a, a data company like Argyle um, is really essentially our schema. What we are offering to the market, what clients are buying is the ability to fetch specific data fields, in our case, 150 of them, and fetch it with very high consistency and very high normalization, where regardless if it's Uber data, target data, ADP data, TikTok data, that is stored the same way. It's a huge undertaking. Again, back to the problem of there's no standards around it. And so we, I try to think of the product challenge of how do you create global standards around income data? And as long as we're sticking to that mission, I think that allows our system um, to be useful to all these different segments. And there's, there's definitely, a, a, from, a, from a data company, uh, there's a need to put uh, a layer on top uh, that allows the product to be used for specific verticals. And that's the reason why we focus on some segments today more than others. Uh, we don't actually yet focus on pre-screening because there's a certain amount of tooling you have to put on top of the data set. So focus is an important thing at all stages of a company. Um, but we try to adhere to the rule of really 90% of what we build has to be generic and accessible for everyone. And then that small layer on top um, to make certain types of uh, features or calculations available to a specific segment. But it's a, it's a journey, and it's also one where you need to listen to a lot of client feedback, but also uh, look at what solutions clients are using today and the limitations around them. Because I think a lot of what is happening in the income data market is rethinking and rethinking how to use a pay stub. And clients will talk to us a lot about a pay stub, and really our end goal is to get rid of a pay stub because you can have the underlying data set. And so I think a lot of what we do every day is, is tease out what are clients really trying to solve for beyond exactly their problem statement. Great, thank you. And so, and yeah. you, you mentioned competitors and what the existing solutions are. The one that we often hear about is the work number. Um, yeah. So do you consider yourself a direct competitor or how do you, Sure. The more commonly known product. Sure. So let's talk about the work number for a second, because there's a lot of qualities about it that are very important. One, 
on average, people will, will say different numbers, but it seems like about 40 to 50% of the time that you send the work number, a social security number, it can return to you information on that social security number. It's called a data subject. That's very impressive. It also means that about 60% or 50% of the time, it can't. And if it can't, it's a majority of the time. And that means that the real competitor in this industry for Equifax, for me, for everyone else, the real competitor in this industry is paper. It's not as exciting as talking about a corporation, but it is factually true. Most times, a PDF sent by email uploaded into a website is the way that income is verified. And so we're competing with paper, we're competing with pay stubs, we're competing with a pay stub upload. And just like paper and the work numbers included in this, it's a point in time report. So in certain ways, we are competing with a point in time report. If you are trying to get a car, um, trying to get a mortgage, trying to get a loan, there's a moment in time in which a system or a computer is going to make a decision on if you are going to get that product. And, and there we are competing with these legacy solutions. And we can start to go through the, the, the differences of them, but th you know, they're a point in time report, we can provide point in time data. Where I don't think the competitors are as clear is when you start talking about um, our, our, the, the newer use cases, direct deposit switching, paycheck back lending, earned wage access, earnings tracking, paper can't work in those solutions. A credit bureau that's updated four to five times a year doesn't work in those solutions. So I think the competitor list uh, skews or changes quite drastically once you start talking about the solutions and the markets that you're in. I, I don't think that we are going to displace the work number this year, next year, or in 10 years. Uh, Equifax has been at something for 40 years through acquisitions. I think it's going to take us time to move people off legacy systems and into consumer permissioned data set that's real time. That's not going to happen overnight, but it, it's important to have other actors that you can juxtapose yourself against. And we, ha we have that with the work number. And I think they would say- You mentioned that you want to get rid of the pay stub. Would you, yeah. would you say that's the right way to articulate the mission of Argyle? Oh, I, I believe the mission of Argyle is, is not about a pay stub, but the mission of Argyle is to return income data control to the individual, where the individual stipulating what businesses have access to the data for what purpose and for what duration. If we live in that world, I, I think Argyle will achieve its mission. But what we have to start with is the here and now. It's very important as a business to talk about the future, but provide solutions for right now. And right now, the problem that exists for people that are trying to get a financial services product is they need to upload paper or send paper via email or fax paper. That is, that is a problem because it's one very hard. Think about actually having to log into a, pay, a payroll system, download a bunch of things, put it on your desktop, upload it somewhere else. That's, and, and second, not everybody has access. Not everybody has uh, pay stubs. Not everybody has a W-2. Think about the gig economy. Think about people that uh, make money on TikTok. So there's a, there's a problem that exists in the current way that businesses are evaluating income. And I think that's what we're trying to solve for right now. And it, it goes towards that larger vision. 
Got it. Okay. So you mentioned a few uh, use cases like direct deposit switching, employment sure. verification. The data that you are providing, a lot of that actually requires perhaps to be a credit reporting agency. So the data that you're providing around income could be used for underwriting, for example. So I wanted to ask you, are you certified as a CRA, as a credit reporting agency? I think it's always important to answer questions directly. The answer to that question is no. I also think that as somebody that has studied FCRA legislation quite deeply, I'll say the first thing, I'm not a lawyer and I'm not an expert. I'm not trained in it. But I would be cautious about linking Argyle to the same governmental process that Equifax is linked to. And I also would be, I just think it's important to understand that we are not providers um, or reviewers of data sets. We are transporters of them. And, and the FCRA legislation, and we could do an entire talk on it, and I find it really geeky, so I'm, 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 uh, I'm totally willing to oblige. This legislation has a lot to do about um, how data is calculated and the obligations of people that are calculating data. Our obligation is to move an individual consumer's information from a payroll system to somebody that has requested it and the end consumer has, has said they want to provide it to. And I, I, I think if we tease that out, that's, that's not really about this legislation. But I do understand the need for financial services businesses to ingest data sets that have certain regulatory requirements because of how they come to, how it comes to them. It's a really geeky conversation, but I, I'm not quite sure that whether or not we are or not a CRA is, is what businesses actually are going to make a decision on at the end of the day. But um, happy to go into it in more detail. I, 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 I think what, what we're out here doing is saying that a consumer has the right to uh, stipulate who sees their data and what, for what du uh, duration, and that they have a right to reject that as well, to say, I don't want to share my information. I, uh, that's, that's what our service does. Okay, that's fair. So you mentioned that your mission is to return income data controlled to workers. Just to level set, who are the different players? And I, I have this sure. white sheet of paper here, so I drew it sure. out. So let's say my use case, <laughs> my payroll income data. My yeah. employer has access to it. Of course, I have access to it through sure. like online portals, the pay stubs, and the sure. payroll processor also has access to it. In this case, ADP. Anything, any other player I missed out in that, in that, I guess, dichotomy? Yeah, I think it's, it's a three-sided, you're totally right. It's a three-sided relationship. And Argyle is a tool that the consumer uses. And so you're right. There's the, there's the employer, there's the payroll provider, and then there is the, the consumer or the, if you want to get, again, get nerdy, you can call it the data set subject, but I, I find that not human enough. And th those are the three constituencies. And then the, 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 the end user of that information or the, the, the business that is, is wanting to use that is a financial services company, a, a lender, a credit card issuer. Okay. And then because you wanted to dig deeper into the details, I'm curious, sure. who owns this data, the payroll data? Yeah. Are, do all three parties own it? If you could just tell us. Sure. Um, no surprise that I'm going to say the owner of the data is the individual. If anybody was looking for a, a twist, you didn't find it in that sentence. There's many ways to attack this. One is from the, the, the legal aspect from that. Um, I think Dodd-Frank, I think CCPA, I think GDPR make it pretty clear that this data is actually owned by the individual. I also think that there's, regardless of, of 
end ownership access rights are clearly at the individual so that the individual has the ability to access it. That's why you can log into ADP. That's the reason why you can log into the Uber portal. So you have the right to review it. And if you have the right to review it, you can take a screenshot of it. It's yours. But I, I, legislation, legislation aside, I, I do find it interesting that the tabs in these portals say your pay stubs, your shift, your time off, your PTO, your username, your password, everything is structured as if it's the individuals, all the ways that we talk about it, your W-2s, all the ways we talk about it are you, it's your stuff. And the payroll companies and the employers do that too. So it, it's interesting that there would be an argument other than that, g- given, given both the legal and the operating momentum around it. Got it. So what are some of the moving forces in which like employers and payroll processors are sharing the payroll data with you? What, what incentive do they have? Or is it that they have no incentive, yeah. but well, uh, it's, it's the individual's data. And so they must share yeah. the individual wants it to be shared. Sure. You're, you're totally right to talk about incentives. Our obligation is to the individual, right? We are contracting with the individual to provide the individual a tool for them to more easily transport their information around. That's our obligation. Payroll providers make money today, quite a large amount of it from selling the data that they're the custodians of to other parties. And then, you know, one of those other parties is a credit bureau. And then those other parties mark it up in a cost plus model and resell it. And uh, the consumer has no part of that value, value chain. And so I, I want to work and we have been able to forge some small relationships, but I, 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 I truly believe that the end state of this is, is one where all payroll systems have a relationship with Argyle, but that's not where we're starting. Um, that's, that's what Equifax does and Equifax is good at that. We're providing a tool to consumers. Equifax is providing a tool to employers. It's fine. But no reason to replicate something that's already. Okay, so that helps. That's that's mm-hmm. our that's our standing on that. Yeah, yeah, that, that helps. Thank you so thank you so much for clarifying. So we have about five minutes, I think, until yeah. uh, we're done with the moderate session. So I should <laughs> clarify the different use cases, and then sure. we need to move on to the audience side. There are four use cases, if I'm correct. You have direct deposit switching, switching, employment verification, earned wage access, yeah. and I think pay, paycheck linked lending. Did I miss? Sure. Any? In fairness, we have several more, but this is a good, this is a good set of four to, to focus on. So I, I think you have it. Okay. Um, what, go for it. I was going to say direct deposit switching. If we could talk through that use case, if you could double click, let's say I opened a checking account with Chime yeah. um, and I need to now, you know, do my direct deposit so I don't have to pay any fees. Yeah. When I am on the Chime app and I am trying to set my direct deposit, how does it work in terms of the integration? Are you integrating with Chime and will Chime display sure. your logo? Will I know I'm sure. sharing information with you? Sure. If you could just walk us through that. So um, just to, to make sure we answer it upright, uh, we take transparency and disclosure very seriously. Uh, something that I've been uh, telling the team for quite some time now is let's just not be creepy. And so under that mantra, we are very clear with an intro screen that attaches our client to us that says, you know, good loans is partnering with Argyle. 
Um, and we're very clear on our, our login screen that, that what people are signing up for and why they're doing it, because we're going to uh, send data to a specific location. Direct deposit switching um, is a use case that gets a ton of hype in it for banks, a ton of hype for the reason why it gets a ton of hype is because there are millions and millions and millions of checking accounts that are being opened by dozens and dozens and dozens of fintech companies. And all these checking accounts get opened with zero dollars in it. So a large open rate, the, the funding rate is something less than that. And so naturally you want to get money. And that has created a lot of buzz around changing a routing number and account number. And we do that. If, if Good Loans wants to set up direct deposit for Sarah that works at Starbucks, Good Loans can activate Argyle, present Sarah with a screen that says, do you want to switch your direct deposit to Good Loans? Please confirm. Sarah clicks that button. And on Sarah's behalf, we will uh, perform that switch where the routing and account number will now be up, uh, updated to something that Good Loans has designated. I think that and like, it's a great product. Glad we have it. Direct deposit switching in and of itself is a one-time product, right? Like you, you do that once and you set it and forget it. What I think is very valuable about being able to uh, monitor and manage pay distributions where you can actually know where money is going to, how much, and you can monitor it. That's very valuable, not just for banks, but for earned wage access where you want to get paid every day. And so a, a system is going to advance you funds, but you need the, the good loans needs to make sure that that money is going to come back to them. So they need to make sure that payouts go to good loans, right? Direct deposit switching is really valuable when you have a paycheck back loan where you've taken out a loan for $1,200 and you need to pay it back $100 every month. Now we need to make sure that $100 is uh, designated to a specific routing and account number at every monthly pay cycle. Uh, so I, I, I love direct deposit switching, but I think it's really valuable in combination with a larger solution that you're trying to provide to a consumer. Okay, so in terms of the payment linked lending, is that simply like, if let's say my uh, contributions to 401k, sure. is it taken something yeah. similar to that, yeah. but post tax and not pre tax yeah. with the case of 401k? Let's remember, 401k contributions are very low. Most hourly workers do not have 401k contributions. I don't think they could tell us what it is. Paycheck back lending is uh, a notion that's built on the fact that most people have less than $500 in their, in their bank account. And they might take out a loan to have extra cash on hand that they need to pay back over time. So if you're doing that, the lender wants to make sure they high repayment rates. And the way to do that is to make sure that funds are coming from a paycheck instead of being ACH out of a bank account where you could get a negative return, right? Where there's not, there's not sufficient funds. But if the funds are coming from a paycheck and you can monitor that they have enough, that they're working enough, that's how you repay a loan. We don't yet um, provide 401k services. Got it. And so if through a paycheck linked lending, that, that solution, does that enable the consumer to have a lower interest rate as a result? It sure does. We actually, the, the repayment rates are drastically different. Fai, who's one of our clients, I think saw a 50% increase in repayment rates, which results in the fact that they can issue loans at lower APRs or at lower rates um, because they don't have to make as much money back from each consumer that does pay for all the ones that don't. So yes, it does have that effect. 
Awesome, great, thank you. And Manisha, then over to you for the last question, then we open up for the audience. <laughs> uh, great, Shrilik, I think I read somewhere that you're really excited about all the potential use cases. Could you give us some sort of an insight into some of the things that maybe we don't hear commonly about that we could get excited about? I um, what you can share. <laughs> I'm really interested in this. Yeah, no, no, of course. I, I, we're in this very lucky place where I, the reason I was pausing for a second is uh, we get to hear new use cases on a quite regular basis. Uh, just today, we were talking to somebody that uh, manages old age homes and how verify past employment, not a core, not a core, not something we're going to delve into, but like that does that sort of stuff does come to us. Something that I'm really uh, interested in right now as a future use case um, is around uh, one-click mortgages or one-click loans, where just by connecting to your income source or your to your employer, we can fill out the entire application, the entire loan application, you know, past employment, length of employment, job title. We can, for, we can provide the pay stubs for compliance purposes to the lender. Everything can be done digitally. And the only thing that the user needs to do, the consumer needs to do, is just authenticate themselves into their employer. And now there's a lot of steps that have to happen there. And there's a lot of tooling on the back end that we need to provide our clients. But I, I really feel like that's a breakthrough. That's, that's, that's definitely not something that credit bureaus can do. And it's definitely something that's out there in the future, but we're working towards. That's exciting. We'll be watching out for the one flick mortgage. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Great. On the go with that, should we open up for the audience questions? Yes, please. All right. So you want me to make the announcement or are you going for it? I was going to say, yeah. As you know, for those who are our usual suspects, Peanut Gallery, we are opening up for audience questions. So please, we'd love to hear from you. And those who are newer, please just raise your hand. And actually, um, because I'm trying to figure out where that is. It used to be at the bottom, <laughs> right? It's, it's still the bottom right. It's still the bottom right. Or they can also send us the message via back channel. Okay, there you go. Oh, we already have Tammy. Thank you, Tammy. Welcome on stage. All right. Tell me if you don't mind introducing yourself and asking Shmuel like your question. Tammy, it by default puts everyone on mute. So you'll have to come out there. Mute. Here we go. <laughs> no, Hi, Tammy. Um, hey, good evening. Interesting, interesting discussion. I have a question, and I'm in financial services for the tenure of my career, and I, I have, I want to say, a risk information security question. So you talked a lot about the data and, you know, I was very happy to see that you've gone through and you've done like the certifications on the CCPA and GDPR and ISO. And, you know, you talked about Frank Dodd and the question was who owns the data? Here's mm -hmm. my, my thought, my question. Mm -hmm. So isn't the data that you're providing to the lenders and I'm just going to I'm just going to call them a third, party, a third party lender or a vendor for you. When you're sure. providing that data, that's mm -hmm. unique data, though, correct? Because nobody else has that data set other than Argyle, right? Does the does the third party vendor, do they have the capability to manipulate that data or the data that they get from you, is that considered the source record? Because if it's considered sure. the source record, then mm -hmm. what are your controls around 
protecting that data again, you know, from mm -hmm. security breaches? Do you have mm -hmm. retention policies with the lenders? Mm -hmm. uh, you mm -hmm. know, if there's litigation or an audit, would they come mm -hmm. back to you to verify that mm -hmm. information, provide that data set again? Mm -hmm. uh, really good set of, uh, of lines of uh, inquiry. When data is getting provided to good loans, what you're calling a third party vendor, I'm going to call it good loans. When yep. data is getting provided to good loans, it's getting provided to good loans in the same way that a paste that would be uploaded to good loans website for manual review. It's as if the user provided the data because it's, it's being transported through their connection with their authentication. And so it's coming to them as Sarah's and we are not in the data storage business. We are in the data transportation business. Um, okay. And so we are not a, we're not a system that houses large quantities of information for review and uh, modification and for calculation and for resale. That's not our business. It's actually strictly anti our business, right? We, we are the company that moves a consumer's information from one place to the other. That's our only obligation. That's the only thing we want to do. Okay. I mean, so yeah. that yeah. that limits that limits the set of that, that that frankly limits our exposure. But it also it also makes the the service quite clean, both for the consumer and for good loans. Nope, that's helpful. Thanks for that clarification. I know you you stated that you were a data provider, but I was thinking you had a database house. Yeah, that. it's 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 part of the. It's, it's, I think it's one of the strongest distinctions between us and a credit bureau, right? The credit bureau is in the business of holding data and reselling it. We're in the business of, of making it go strictly from 1.A to 1.B. Okay, great. And good luck on your continued success. And this is Tammy. Thank you so much. Thanks, Tammy. Um, looks like we have Deidre on the, on the stage as well, but we also have a couple in the back channel. But Deidre... Over to you, if you could introduce yourself and ask your question. Yeah, hi, uh, my name is Deirdre. I'm actually a user experience researcher. I am awesome. still wrapping my head around everything that has been discussed. The first question that comes to mind, and I'm sorry if I'm rude, but this is based on your last answer. You talked about how you are a data transporter and here comes the root part. Why would a company choose you over somebody else? Because aren't there a not, lot of data transporters? Yeah, um, not root at all, by the way. I think it's a great question. So uh, I'm glad you asked it. We're transporting a specific type of data in a, in a normalized format, right? Mm -hmm. So if somebody asks us to transport, transport oil and gas data, you're out of luck, can't do it. We transport just income data and only specific 150 fields of income data. So it's, it's a very confined list and we make it so confined because this is very complex information and we want to do a really good job at a few things. And so we're only mm -hmm. doing this for 150 fields. Why does somebody use us over other people that could theoretically do the same thing? One, we can do it for the highest number of income data sources, so really broad cup. Second, when you use Argyle, it's untouched by human hands. So from a risk perspective, you've greatly reduced 
Third, because we are not having to repay and then repay and then repay other people to purchase the data and then resell it to you, we are not in the data mm -hmm. purchasing this. Our price points are drastically lower than somebody that is, is a data reseller, right? Or in a class plus model. And then there's, there's definitely other nuances, but I think those are some key aspects to it. And may I ask a follow-up question? I'm I'm okay Monisha. with it. I'm the kind of Monisha. May I ask a follow-up question? Of course. Yes, sure. Okay, so how is it that you get this very specific data and nobody else has that same kind of, I don't know, oh. special sauce, you know? Yeah. Well, a lot of other businesses do get data like this, so I don't think that we have a a lock on this data set. There's a lot of businesses mm -hmm. that can give you year to date. But what what we are again offering is a is a tool to a consumer where just to keep using the Starbucks example, if you open up a web browser right now and you go to id.starbucks.com, mm -hmm. you are going to get to the portal that every barista globally uses to figure out how much money they made today. Mm -hmm. That is a portal that an individual can access. And so all we are doing very similar to Chrome or to Firefox or Safari is we're saying, here is a browser for you to access your data and for you to send it to some other person, right? Or some other entity. And so what, what we've done as a service for the consumer and for, for a financial institution is aggregate together all those different, all those different websites, right? I, I, I unfortunately know too many URLs, <laughs> run.adp.com uh, is adp, one.walmart.com. <laughs> That's the Walmart one. Partners.uber.com is the mm -hmm. Uber one. I, I unfortunately know too much of this stuff. No one should know any of it, <laughs> right? But what we've done is, is we put all of that diverse, that diverse knowledge inside of a system where somebody can just type in Starbucks or Walmart or Target or UPS, right? Or ADP or Zenefit, and they can access their own data and move it to somebody else. Got it. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Of course. Thanks, Deidre. Heather, welcome. Hi, um, great to be here. So my question for you is, what have been some of the challenges that you've encountered as you've built or as you iterate on this? And what are the learnings that you're taking from it? To reiterate challenge from before, this data set is extremely poorly managed, where every, every integration we've performed, every data, database that we access on behalf of the consumer, stores their data in uh, stores income data in the way that they chose and that problem unfortunately doesn't get better or simplified as you grow and um, if you if you can visualize in your head a set of columns and the columns are adp paychecks paycom target twitch right you keep going those are the columns we're every time we perform another integration we're adding another column and we have to make sure that all the rows, first name, last name, start date, face pay, all those rows work consistently across every single one of those columns. And it, it is a Herculean effort. And it's one that requires a ton of technology to be built just to manage those rows and columns um, and make sure that they're consistently putting out the right information. And we're trying to, we're, we're, we're trying to do that, but by the way, without manually uploading data, right? manually having data for review, all the things that a credit bureau uses today. And um, I wish I could sit here and be like, we've, we, it's easy, it's breezy, we can do it on our sleep. That's very much not the case.
Is, is there anything that you, I guess, would have done differently looking back in retrospect? Mm. Yeah, I, I, I think so. You know, I mentioned before that we have 150 fields. Not all, none of them are used by everyone. And I do think that there is a set of fields that we have for use cases that are going to be very valuable for us in the future, but we're not focused on now. And if I, hindsight's twenty twenty, but now having known so much about how different data elements are used by different verticals, um, and that we're not in every vertical yet, we probably would have pared down our data, uh, our, our data schema. So we're not having to map 150 fields every single time. But again, learnings along the way. Awesome. Thank you so much. So Shmulek, now we have a few questions from the back channel and sure. I'll start. So Heather is from MX. Heather forgot to ask you to introduce yourself. We have another question from MX and it's from Bryce and he would like your view on the ethics around data aggregation regulation and specifically your recommendation in terms of the direction of how the policy should evolve or how the policy should go in terms of data aggregation policies. It's a smart question. Ethically, I sit uh, in the position that a consumer needs to be able to make all of these choices and that a consumer uh, should be able to stipulate who is looking at data for what reason, um, using what service, and that there has to be very clear disclosures. And I'm, I, I think sometimes disclosures gets equated to reduce in conversion. We, act, we actually see the opposite, that when you provide good disclosures, you actually increase conversion because you increase trust. But from an ethical standpoint, I think that's the obligation of any data aggregator, whether it's Argyle, whether it's Plaid, whether it's Twilio, whether it's Stripe. If you are aggregating information to provide a unified portal for your client, you need to make sure that your client has good disclosures and has full control over where the data is sent and for what purpose. From a legislation standpoint, there's, I think there's a lot to do around privacy and making sure that the right um, encryption and hashing is going on and that the right access standards are put in place. And I, I'm sure just like in, in healthcare with HIPAA, I, I'm sure that that one paragraph can turn into a thousand pages of text, but I, I think that's the core to it. Okay. And then there is a clarification question. What you are doing in terms of uh, return income data control to workers, the bigger mission that you have, is that in parallel or is that also an overlap of open finance slash open banking? I definitely think it's a cousin or a sister of it. Open finance and open banking is a, a, a very important project concerning the data set of um, bank information, right? Making sure that there's interoperability between Chase and U.S. Bank, between Fidelity and Bank of America, right? And making sure that whether you're a bank um, or a financial service provider or an app, that there's standards around how that data is stored and act. All of that is true for Argyle as well, except for its income data, not bank data. And because of that, the data elements are very different and they're stored very differently. But it, there's a ton that... Uh, open banking shares with our initiative. And I think there's learnings on both sides. Okay, thank you. Next question is from Ram. I don't see him in the audience. Oh yeah, there he is. <laughs> and uh, he, this is from data engineering. So I guess uh, he's asking for 
clarity, given that you mentioned that you're in the transportation of data business. So in that business of data transportation, are you truly a data custodian or a data steward of the data that you're transporting? We're not a custodian because we don't house it. And a custodian is, is responsible, I think, for, for holding on to something. We're definitely a data steward. We're, we're moving things. We're not a lockbox. Got it. So then as data stewards, do you ensure, this question is from me, sorry. Do you ensure yeah. any data quality measures? How are you ensuring, I guess, data integrity? Sure. So we have an automated internal service um, called Data Gateway. And what uh, Data Gateway aims to do is make sure that data elements, let's just take birth date because it, it just, it, it sort of sized the prize, but birth date can be passed with two uh, digits for a year or four digits for a year, but it can't be five digits for a year, right? And so what we do in terms of quality aspect, again, we just have a, a rule, no humans involved in the transportation of information. But what we do is we, we have an automated service that makes sure are, is, are the formattings of, of each of our fields coming through the way we would expect? Is, is numbers coming up in a field that should have text? Is it the reverse? Are, the, if, are fields that are constrained, do they have the right values? We're talking about base pay. It probably shouldn't be something like $500,000. And so those are all the restrictions that we're putting in or the quality controls that we're putting in to make sure that the data is being passed correctly. But I think unlike looking at data quality for a pay stub that's under human review, it's not like you have a side-by-side -side test. You have to let the system sort of get better over time. But we're, here's what I would say. Uh, what we hear consistently from clients is that we are far better than manual review, OCR, or credit bureau, um, because we have data um, that is truly untouched by humans, which I think in this case is a good thing. Great, thanks, Mir. Like, I think we're having some clubhouse issues because people are getting kicked out of the app, which I got uh, kicked out as well, and then I was, so sorry about that. But yeah, I think that that was the last question coming from Heather or Ambika, because I know she got, uh, Kicked out as well. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, 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 that's on, that's on us. And I think just to kind of pick up, would love to hear maybe a little more about the roadmap for Argyle and how you can. I know with your recent round of fundraising, congratulations, fifty-five. Would love to kind of hear your thoughts on your roadmap. So. We are going to continue to do uh, that one thing that we do well, which is connect to as many income sources as possible, just to size that a bit. The IRS says there are 250,000 registered payroll service providers. There's 18,000 banks in the United States. So the supply side complexity in a business like Argyle is vast. And so it's very important for us to focus on to continue to build out our programmatic network. That is the primary reason for the investment um, and why we're going to keep heavily invested in access to income data. On top of that, we're, we're also interested in international expansion. The problem in America is the same as the problem in Canada, is the same as, and we're lucky that we're in a business similar to Twilio, where when you connect to a specific platform, whether that's AT&T or ADP, these systems exist globally. And so we, are very lucky that our system by default is multi-currency, multilingual, does kilometers and, and miles. I like the kilometers. And we're, we're, we definitely have clients 
out of not in America, but we're going to expand on that. And then I, I also think there's um, a real chance to provide a lot more tooling to consumers for them to have additional control and transparency around who has access to their data and providing a hub for that. And so I, I want to make more inroads in there. The, the other part is we want to be a product for, for the entire market. And that means working really closely with payroll providers. And because I'm a, because I'm a product, product manager by training, I can't help but start building product for payroll companies and, instead of just uh, sending them letters. So there's, there's definitely a lot of work going on on that as well. That's all for today. Thank you for listening. If you like the discussion, we welcome you to join us during our live shows every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific on Clubhouse. We'd be delighted to have you there. You can also find other episodes on all major podcasting platforms, such as Spotify, Apple, Google, Audible, wherever you get your podcasts. We'd appreciate if you could leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. Until next week, be safe. Thank you.